Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. Today's episode is a Game of Thrones John 2. We are still in Winterfell as John is preparing to leave his home, the Great Stone Castle built by Bran the Builder, and head north to the 700-foot magical wall built of ice with his uncle Benjen to join the Night's Watch. If you have watched me on YouTube for a long time or followed me on Twitter, then you know Catelyn Stark is not my favorite. Not even close. Like, no likes at all. So for this episode, I invited someone to be Catelyn Stark's champion and bring a different perspective to this very hurtful chapter. Tony, glad you could be here. You want to tell the people who you are and where they can find you. What's the deal, my people? You know what it is, a Don Tony Teflon. Thank you, Gray, for having me. I have no problem being the Johnny Cochran of Westeros and defending Catelyn right, Tully right now. <laughs> I think it's a pretty easy defense, and uh, I look forward to having this uh, conversation. You can find me at Teflon TV on YouTube or the Tony Teflon on Twitter. I'm sure the links will be in the description. And I also have a podcast on Podbean called The Lady and the Don Podcast, which I host with LMR. So please, if you can, subscribe to my channel and to my podcast. And again, thank you, Gray, for having me on. The pleasure is mine. And yes, I vouch for him. Check him out. He has amazing theories. He's one of the OGs of A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones YouTube. So... You know, check him out. Tony is going to be Catelyn's champion. And I'm going to be John's champion. But this chapter is about so much more than just the dynamic between Catelyn and John. I mean, that's one important thing. But let, let, let's start at the beginning. So the chapter starts off with John like slowly going up the tower steps. He's going to see Bran. It's been about two weeks since Bran's fall and he hasn't seen Bran. He's nervous and afraid because seeing Bran means he has to come face to face with his abuser, Catelyn Stark. Now he's wanted to see Bran. But Catelyn was always there. She's never left Bran's side. Not even to go to the potty. I think it's like important to really understand how hard it is for John in this moment. He's saying goodbye to the only home he's ever known. He's saying goodbye to his family. His brother is, for all he knows, like dying. And all of these things are weighing him down as he climbs the steps to see Bran. But he is also dealing with fear. Fear. Because Catelyn Stark will be at Bran's bedside and John knows it. He's purposely stayed away but he's ran out of time and he's leaving so he has to face her in order to see Bran so when they reach the landing at the top of the stairs John just kind of stands there for a long time afraid like trying to muster up the courage to face what's in this room 
And Ghost kind of gives John like a little lick on the hand, a little nudge, like it's gonna be okay, buddy. You can do this. And and John says like he took he took courage from that. He straightened and entered the room. And when he enters, he just kind of stands there, afraid, af- afraid to talk, afraid to move, like he's paralyzed with fear. Summer is outside of the window, howling. Um, Ghost hears summer howling he pays attention to that catlin recognizes john and is like what are you doing here we don't want you here and john basically begs her he's just he just says please she's like no i told you to leave she's a cold bitch and the worst is yet to come well i think that we could all relate a little bit to what john snow is going through especially someone who has moved away from the neighborhood they grew up on. When I lived in Queens my whole life, and then I had to move to upstate New York, I did not want to go to upstate New York. You know, when you get familiar with your peoples, when you get familiar with an area, when this is the only thing of way of life you know, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into a different life. Like when I went up to upstate New York, I mean, I was used to having street lights on the corners. You know, I was used to being people outside. I went up to upstate New York. It was so dark at night. It was dark as hell. There was animals in in the woods. I did not like it. I did not, you know, I did not like it at all, you know. But eventually you get used to it. And I dealt with another situation like when my grandfather was passing away. And my family is, most of them are Jehovah Witnesses, but I am not. And my grandfather used to always tease me because back then I used to have an earring in my ear. And he used to call me Mr. Clean because he said that's the only man he ever seen with an earring in his ear. But when he was passing away, he always accepted me for who I was. He did not care about that. And when he was passing away and I had to go see him, I knew that my grandmother, you know, she always had a problem with it. So I remember going into his bedroom and he was dying of cancer and he was laying in the bedroom. And before I could even get into the bedroom, she grabbed me by my arm. and She said, you're going to take that earring out of your ear if you're going to go see your papa. And I'm like, Papa accepted me with the earring in my ear. So I'm going in there with the earring in my ear. So I think he kind of has a situation like that. Like, I'm dealing with enough right now. I do not want to deal with any more drama. And I think that's mostly likely what's going through his head while he's going in here. He's just like, I just wish I could say my piece without having to have to deal with this woman at this time. And knowing that he's going to have to deal with her by her fact that she's being there. Yeah, like that's that's the thing. Like that's a, a a testament to how George writes. George writes these realistic characters, these characters that are experiencing things that you might have, like you said, you you can relate because you've experienced something similar to this. And I can relate to John. Like I had an evil stepmother that hated me. Like she hated the bond that I had with my dad. But my dad always checked her ass. Like when my dad wasn't around, like when my dad was around, she would she would be nice to me and she tried to be like the mommy Marius. But when my dad wasn't looking, that's when she would go into evil stepmom mode. And it took a long time before I finally, you know, told my mom and dad. And I was no longer around, like allowed to be around this woman alone. But my dad checked the fuck out of her. And that's why I've never liked Catelyn Stark. And I and I feel like it's really a testament to how realistic George writes these characters that you can find, no matter who you are, you can find some person in your life that you've dealt with that is similar to one of these characters, yeah, well, that, if that, not more than one. 
Yeah, without a doubt. I I've had I had a very evil stepmother too. You know, terrible, terrible. And I when I look back at the situation, uh, she was cruel and she was very terrible. She did t terrible things to me and my, and my brother and my sister. Uh, basically drove my brother to leave the house for my dad, drove me to leave the house for my dad, and she was doing the same thing with my sister, but my dad wisened up at that time, and he actually said to her, you cost me two of my kids, you're not going to cost me my last one, and that's when he left her at the end. Uh, but I do, when I look back and I try to see that, you know, what she was going through uh, at that time was, she was, you know, 21, 20, 21 years old when she got with my father. Uh, my brother was 18 years old, and my dad was in his, almost in his 40s, you know, so she took on, now, she took on a man this age with the, all the, with, with, the, with kids, but to her, you know, I look at her, when I was that age, would I have been able to do the exact same thing? I don't know. I don't think I would have been as mean as she was, but I try to look at the whole picture and the situation she was in. And maybe she just wasn't mature enough at that time to be in the situation that she was. And she fell in love with him or whatever, and that's how she, and that's why she acted the way she did. Well, we can take these situations that we have and we can apply them to John and Catelyn. So, to me, to me, I don't care what your situation is. You do not, under any circumstances, if you're a good person, you do not take that out on a child. A child does not ask to be there. A child does not have any control over what their situation. Like, if you're an adult and you're taking abuse, you have some, you might not have a lot of control, but you have some, enough control where you can leave. You can leave. But as a child and as someone that is a parental figure in this child's life to ab mentally abuse them, that is awful. And I don't know how you can defend it. I think that when you deal with the situation between Catelyn and John, if people are only dealing with what they're seeing at that time, you have to go back to the beginning and you have to look at it from Catelyn's perspective. Now, we as readers, we know the whole story, but she does not know the whole story. So you have to look at it at her perspective and you have to go back to the beginning of how all this happens. And when you see that story, it's easy to see why she acted the way she acted. Now, was she right in acting all the way she did? No. But it is justifiable. And when we talk about reality and being realistic, she acted as realistic as a person would in her situation. I don't think many people, what you're saying sounds sweet, Greg. It truly does. But realistically, I don't see many women acting much different than what Catelyn had, would act at that particular time. So we could just definitely just delve back a little bit, if you allow me to, into how she came about in this situation. Well, she was a young woman, right, who was supposed to marry this man's brother, who she was truly in love with. Then he dies, Brandon. right? 
Yeah, Brandon Stark. Brandon Stark. And then Brandon Stark gets killed. Now, she is forced at a duty to her family, sold like a loaf of bread, basically, to make this alliance work to marry Ned Stark. Someone she never met before. Someone she wasn't attracted to after her true love, her fiancé, just got killed. And just so happens to be the brother. Now, I don't know many women that would like to date was in love with one brother and then agree to marry the other brother after they passed away. I don't know many women that would do that, right? But she did mm-hmm. it out of honor to her family. While she does this, she, she, has, she has sex with this man she never met before, right? She ne- mm-hmm. has to get naked. And then he knocks her up the first time he does it, right? Mm-hmm. So she goes off pregnant, taking care of this baby, trying to, you know, get back. And then when she gets back, this man comes back with a baby. Right? He mm-hmm. che- cheated on her. Right? Not mm-hmm. only did he cheat on her and bring home a baby, he didn't just, like, pick some homely chick. Right? He could have said he cheated with anybody. Right? He had to pick Usher a date. He had to pick the hottest chick in the world. That he well, he could, did. He had to pick her. He had to pick a sure date, the hottest he, chick for the rumor to be spread about that he had this baby with. So that is not, that's, you cannot go away and you're with some chick and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I, I knocked up Kim Kardashian and, uh, and now she, I'm bringing our baby, this baby, back to the home that I'm supposed to have with you and your child. You know, so right off the bat, I do not know any woman, all right? It may sound sweet that women will say, oh, I would raise Jon Snow, but believe you me, if your husband goes off to fight a war anywhere in the world, anywhere, you could pick it, and has a baby while he's at that war and then brings that child back to your crib, I don't know many women in the world who are going to sit there and say, yeah, that baby's allowed in our house. I, I don't know many so women who really we, going to go, go that route. We're talking about 2020. So if my husband went and had a baby right now with another woman and he brought the baby here, I would kill my husband. <laughs> I would love the baby. <laughs> I would have no ill feelings to the baby. My feelings would be towards my husband. Now, I do understand that Catelyn is in a situation that where she doesn't really have control over anything. Like, it's it's Ned's home. It's Ned's castle. And she's basically his property. I get that. I understand that. Take it out on Ned. Don't take it out on John. Don't take it out on... Like, she even said... She even said, like, she didn't love Ned. She didn't love Ned. She expected Ned to have a bastard. She expected her man to go off to war and have a bastard. The Her issue was that he brought his bastard home. He, she says Starks are not like other men. So, basically, she would have rather not seen... The bastard. Who it was? wasn't that he had. Ca- I mean, I don't know. I mean, who? What, what woman would would want to see the man that you were forced to marry? You're right, you didn't want to marry this man. You were forced to marry this man, and now this married man, you, like, what did you get? Just she's probably thinking, what did I get myself into? 
I, I, I'm forced to marry this man. And while he's out there, he's going to bring home some baby he had while he was at war. He's going to bring him right home to me. You know what I mean? Now I got to raise this child, too, with my own kid. You know, it's kind of like what John is to her is exactly what Patchface is to Stannis. You know what I'm saying? Like, Patchface to Stannis is a walking... Every time those little bells jingle, it's a walking reminder of how his parents died. And that's exactly what Jon Snow is to her. He is a walking reminder of how Ned cheated on her. And she didn't even love him. She didn't even love him. Still a husband. It's still your husband. So she didn't even love him. Yeah, but it's still your husband. You know what I mean? She was faithful. It wasn't like no, she but, was out there hoeing. You know what I mean? While she was pregnant and doing other things with other people. So she says. So she says. I mean, we, we'll never know. I mean, we'll never so know. So she says because people know. think that people think that Rob is Brandon's baby. Well, but that's that a whole nother. Yeah, that that's a whole another, thing. It's another video, but that would have happened before Ned, right? So she would have had to get pregnant with, with Brandon if that theory holds water before Ned. So she still wouldn't have been ho hoing because she was engaged to be married to Brandon. So if she did that, that was that. To me, I would never punish a child for the actions of another adult because. He has no say. Like, he has no... I get it. You feel betrayed. I would feel betrayed, too. And I would take that up with my husband. But to take that anger out that you have on for your husband out on a child is ridiculous. I feel just saying. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I feel just saying. But she did try to take it up with him. And she tried to bring up the, the uh, who the baby's mom was. And she said that Ned gave her a look. That she never seen before. So she never wanted to ask the question again. So he must have scared her so bad from that look. And what is it? That he didn't want to bring it up. And I would just like to touch on exactly what you said a little bit earlier. That also defends Catelyn. Because the bottom line, and this deals with my stepmother too, is Ned enabled this. At any time, Ned had the ability to shut this down. Anytime Ned could have said, hey, stop calling my son these names. But he chose not to. He allowed mm-hmm. this behavior to go on. So I truly would have to blame Ned more than her. Just like with my stepmother, when she was doing bad stuff to me, my dad enabled it. He could have shut that down and said, hey, this is my son you're talking to. What are yeah, you doing? Cor- and he didn't stick Ned- up for me. So it should have been Ned's place to stick up and, and do it. So... Ned is more to blame than Catelyn is. Was she right for saying things, calling him bastard and everything else? No. But Ned allowed it. At any time, he could have shut it down. Because he sure shit shut down the Ashura Dane questions when she tried to answer that and she never did it again. He could have did the same exact thing. She tried to... He tried to, like, tell her. Like, he told her that she was fucking heartless. Like, he's just a child. Like, he's just a boy. And... I guess like they're both in this situation that they're forced to be in, so like they they can't I guess check each other. But I, I'm sorry, like I would totally advocate for him slapping the shit out of her for the way what she said to John in that room. So if I was in there, I would drag that bitch all the way to the wall for saying it should have been you. You know, it should it should have been you. Like this this. 
14-year-old boy is coming up here to see his ailing brother. He's leaving home because she basically forced the wall on him. And the only thing she can think of to say to him is it should have been you. Well, she doesn't care about him and she cares about Bran. Is it right for her to say that? No. But I have known people whose parents have passed away like one parent passed away that they were really close with and they weren't close with the other one and they said to the other living parent i wish it was you not my dad i've heard people say that so i i think you got to look at the situation she's in there her son is in a coma she's sitting there she doesn't know if he's gonna pull through here's john snow right of course she would have rather been him than her son uh, there's no. Why would she want it to be Brent? If she had to say, hey, it should have been you. Should she have not said that? Most likely. But this is an emotional woman at this particular time. As you said, she's not even getting up to go to the bathroom. Right? So she is just besides herself. So obviously she is not in the, her direct right frame of mind at this particular time. Well, let's talk about her state of mind for a minute. So I agree. She's not all there in this moment. Catelyn's state of mind is questionable she's the grief of her kids leaving going to king's landing the grief of her husband leaving going to king La- king's landing brand being ill not knowing if he's gonna live but let's just excuse this one occasion based on that because she's mad and she's beside herself but john has a lifetime of trauma on his hands because of catlin stark this is just the, like this is just the one time that we've seen, but he, John says clearly. Usually he would run, usually he would cry, so it's not the first time. No, it's this isn't not. the first time this happened. Uh, it's not, and I'm not saying that she's justified for saying everything that she said. I'm just understanding exactly why she said it, you know, that, and that's basically what, what case I could make for her. I'm not saying that she's right for saying these things to a child, no, but I could understand her having these feelings towards this child. Another reason is because Jon Snow, and she says this, looks more like Ned than her kids. Right, and we know that Targaryen features don't really carry over unless they're having sex with another Targaryen. So the North mm-hmm. is going to come out more in John. But when they had sex with the Tullys, the Tullys had looked more like Tullys, right? So it's even like even then she's looking at this kid and she's like, this this kid who's a bastard looks more like uh-huh. his father than my kids who are not. And that just hurts, you know what I mean? And that just hurts him. And, you know, I I think that's that's something that inside of her, she's like, I just wish my kid looked more like him, but the bastard looks more like him, you know? And that's another reason that, 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 that hurts her inside. Like, wow, I can't even give this guy a kid that looks just like him, you know? Because you always want yeah, your but son that, to look like the dad. But that's more so speaks to the ambition that she has. She's a very ambitious and ambition-driven woman. Um, a lot of people would like to say that Catelyn Stark isn't ambitious, but she is. Like she wants Sansa to be queen. She she relishes in the idea of Sansa being queen and her sons, their grandsons, ruling from the Wall to Dorne. Um, she loves that idea, and part of the reason that she doesn't like John is because John looks like a Stark, and she feels that John is a threat 
to her other children and their claims and, on Winterfell. But that's the world she lives in, right? So she feels that way because that's what she was taught growing up. And she was also taught growing up that bastards are terrible. It's kind of the worst thing that you can have, right? So you got to look at the time that she's living in and all the things she was taught as a little girl and she and the things that she recognizes and the fact that he looks more like Ned, you know, it makes her feel threatened for her own kids' uh, safety. Uh, and their status or where they would be, you know, and it's like the way they talk about bastards, like bastards are conniving and they're snakes, and I'm sure she knows a bunch of stories about bastards usurping places from their true-born kids, and it gives her some, some grief in this situation. That's why when Rob is like, I'm going to sign Winterfell over to John, she's like, no, what are you doing? Why would you do that, you know? And that's what she's basically thinking. Like, her concern is more with her children, you know? And I think any mother would have concern for their children, you know what I mean? She's looking out for their best interest. What mother shouldn't but look the, out for her ch children's best interest? The problem is that she never got to know John. She never got to know John to know that he is, that isn't who he is. He isn't going ri to rise up against his brothers. Well, we we did see him stab Daenerys, right? And so, so I mean, if you go... Please show, do not talk <laughs> about that blasphemy on this on saying, this podcast. I'm Please do saying, not. I'm saying, we see that side of it, if you want to call that. That is fan fiction. <laughs> that is not what we're talking about. That is fan fiction. So she would be proven right if that was the case. But, you know, I understand what you're saying. But again, I just must point out that... She's trying to defend her children, you know, and uh, I'm not saying, as I said before, I'm not saying that her actions towards a child are justified and everything, but I can understand why she would feel this way, given the circumstances that what she's told, raised or what bastards are, how she's uh, living in that area, and how this child came about. I think that that's what it is. I think, in all honesty, if Ned would have told her the truth, right and trusted her then she would have treated john 100 percent different well why do you think he didn't tell her the truth maybe because she's an ambitious untrustworthy woman what has she done to ned to make him think that way if we look at anything with Catelyn, we have why to say he, that... Why do you say he, Why would you say he didn't tell her? He didn't tell anybody, right? There's no one who knows. The only, thing, only person we could say that would know is maybe Howland Reed. And we're not even sure about that, right? We know he was there. But we don't... You know, he was the only one that, that should know. You know what I mean? He didn't tell anyone. He wouldn't have told Howland if Howland wasn't there. Like, Howland had to be there to know. He didn't just go out to say, hey, Howland, I got something to tell you. Howland was there. That's why he knows. That's the only reason. So he didn't tell anyone. So he didn't trust anybody with this information because he just thought that Robert, you know, was, was such a hothead, which is also a situation, too, you know, that makes me think that, you know, if, you know I had a whole video about the whole situation with Robert coming to Winterfell. So we won't get into that, but... You know, yeah, just go watch his video on that. Yeah, definitely do that. But I, I, I just don't think that um, it was done. He didn't. He didn't tell anyone. So the fact he didn't tell anyone makes me think he shouldn't. He should. He didn't. Makes me think that he was wrong not to tell his wife. He should have told. He should have trusted his wife and told her at some point over these years what the situation was. And I think if he did again, I'll say it again. She would have treated him, John, totally different. It's just the fact that. 
the, the uh, who John was more than John being a child. She wasn't just like a child abuser abusing children. It was the fact of who John was, who she thought. I he can't, was. I can't imagine living with a baby, a newborn from newborn from infancy, to to becoming a teenager and never developing any feelings for this child whatsoever. Basically, just wishing the child death because she pushes him to the wall like and and it's so he'll give up his claims to lands and titles she has no regard for him as a human being and when people paint her as this saint i just don't understand it i don't care what you're going through you don't treat children like shit and she becomes likable later but i still think like she's just this fucking karen like a karen of westeros She's a big Karen that feels entitled to everything and feels like bastards don't have a place in the world when many great lords have bastards. Many Starks have had bastards. It's common in Westeros. It, it, it is, but they all feel the same way about these bastards. And a lot of these bastards aren't raised with their true-born children you know it's a stigma that everyone has it's not like she just came up with this hey bastards are bad she was raised to think that way this is what the, everyone thinks not just her so and as i said not many bastards are raised around the kids you know ramsey you know wasn't raised exactly with roos and his kids right he and he mm -hmm. had to come around they had to drag him there and he had the eyes and everything else and that's why he born but look what harm he's did to all of roos's true born kids to the yeah but that's to, to the point where roos is like i expect ramsey to kill my kids there's nothing i could do about it i, I just expect him to eventually do it so it gives some proof to the rumors and justification of why people feel this way when you see people do these things and that she's just going along with the norm that everybody else feels this is not something that she's just developed on her own everyone in Westeros feels this way about bastards except for the people in Dorne I just feel like okay so if it's the norm then as a woman and as this figure that they try to make this mother, this motherly figure, they, I, I feel like she, she doesn't have that, like her and Cersei have a lot in common. People don't like to talk about it. People don't like the comparison, but it's true. Your child was left in the world without you. Would you want people to treat your child like a threat? Like... A disease like a plague or would you want them to nurture them so you know this man is gonna be an adult one day you know this child is gonna grow up to be a, an adult one day why don't you take the effort to get to know him and to nurture him and figure out who he is before you just deem him as spawn of Satan gonna kill my kids and take Winterfell like why are you thinking in this paranoid worst case scenario because that's what Cersei does and it always hurts Cersei just like it hurts Catelyn it does I mean if you want to go look at a little bit of the show I know we don't like to do that too much here but you know oh my god you're gonna kill me she says it in the show you know she says how bad she feels for not being able, like John got a fever, and she sat with him, and she prayed. That to, is, and she, 
I'm Tony, I, that's she, fake news. Not, I understand, it's but fan I'm saying fiction. it gives you a mindset, right? A mindset of the character. And I'm saying that she said to herself, you know, she said that she'd be good to him if she could be good to him if he was just able to be saved. And then she just couldn't bring herself to do it when it all was said and done. And she hated herself that she wasn't able to do it. And that's just a flaw in her character. Now, that did not happen in the books, but I'm just saying it's a flaw. And it just shows you not everybody's perfect, right? Everyone has problems uh, that, that, that everyone has, that people are proud of. Everyone wishes they could do things differently after things get done. And as I said, I'm not yeah. justifying what she did, how she treated that child. But I'm saying that uh, women nowadays, believe you me, y'all ladies listening to this, y'all can say whatever you want. But the truth of the matter is, if your man or your husband, your husband, your husband comes back to you out of the blue after you're pregnant and the first time you're showing him his your baby that you had with him, he goes... Look what I got, Spice. I got another baby right here. You, th- you right? throw the husband away. You throw the husband away. You don't take it out on the child. Like, Cersei. Ain't nobody going to Cer- no one letting that kid live with them like that. Okay, so, listen. Cersei gets this, like, Cersei kills all Robert's bastards. Cersei talks about... Um, Robert wanting to bring Maya Stone, like his daughter in the veil, to court. Mm-hmm. And Cersei, like, basically threatened him, like, you might find King's Landing not a safe place for young girls. And he smacked the shit out of her. Yes. And, and I- he never... And, and, like, I don't advocate domestic violence. We're talking about a fantasy story. I don't advocate mm-hmm. domestic violence against women. But I'm I'm just saying, we're talking about a fantasy story. But Cersei... Is keeping it 100. Like she's saying. If uh, Catelyn Stark was. Basically. Not cut out for this life. Because she didn't kill Jon Snow in his cradle. Because Cersei says that she would have killed Jon Snow in his cradle. Well this there's two different things going on here right. So the Cersei is. Saying this about Maya Stone and everything else. But there's a reason behind it. And the reason behind it is that. Her kids are not really Robert's. And if she gets these kids out here, maybe Robert would eventually put two and two together and say, Hey, how come all my other kids have black hair, but all these kids have blonde hair? So that's mm-hmm. what she's trying to protect against. You know what I mean? That's why she does not want her there. It's not truly the hatred for the child. It's more of her trying to protect her own life and her kid's life and not get discovered what she's doing with her brother. When dealing with Robert. Uh, we don't have that situation here. When we deal with Catelyn. So I don't know if we can compare those two things. Apple to apples. I, I, yeah it's not apples to apples. But I would say that it's definitely. You know worth noting that. While killing someone is definitely. Pro- it's definitely more extreme. Like mental abuse. For years. Is traumatic as fuck. It is. And he's going through this and she and it's at her hands. And as a a woman, as a mother, like this is not okay. 
And we have spent a lot of time talking about Catelyn. You want to, like, give your final thoughts and we can move on from Catelyn because I'm tired of her ass. All right. As I said, I am not here to defend the actions of Catelyn, but I am here to defend her attitude and why she felt the way she did. And I think that she is justified living the time period she is and growing up where she was at of feeling that exact way that she did. Was it right for her to feel that way? No. But I do understand why she did. And I don't understand. So. (laughs) 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 So. John is saying his goodbyes. So. Aside from the Catelyn stuff, he says goodbye to Bran. And we get to see, like, the relationship that John had with Bran. In the previous Bran chapter, um, Bran was saying, like, John's mad at me. But really, John is just dealing with, like, trying to go get prepare herself to go join the Night's Watch. And John and Bran had basically, you know, planned to do these adventurous things together, like see the wall for the first time together. And they kind of like Bran wants to be a knight and John also wants to be a knight. So they have a lot in common. Bran and John, I I thought it was funny (laughs) that at first when I was reading, rereading, I was like, damn, no, they didn't go see, he didn't go see Rickon. (laughs) Like he said bye to everyone, but Rickon. But then when I looked back on it, he didn't, he didn't say bye to Rickon. He didn't say bye to Sansa, and he didn't say bye to Ned either. And the show added that Ned and good, the Ned and John goodbye scene, mm-hmm. where he's like, "We'll talk about your mother when I get back." Um, but John doesn't say bye to him. He says goodbye to Bran, Rob, and Arya. Yeah, well, they use that show thing to kind of put, you know, uh, the secret of John's mother is important. Right, so they use that there at that particular time to make people understand there's something going on here with John's mother. Uh, so that's yeah. why they use it. It was a good. It was a good addition. Yeah. And so it's it's scary, as I said, for for John because you gotta look at it. the king comes up to even though he was in a bad situation, a, a bad situation for himself. He still was in a better situation than most, right? He still was growing up in the castle. And yes, he did get abused by, you know, Sansa and Catelyn. But he was also loved by Bran. He was loved by the people who worked there. He was loved by Rob. He was loved by everybody else up there, right? So he had it bad, but he still, there were a lot of people who had it worse than him. And it just so happens that, you know, the king shows up. And in one day, a couple of days, his whole life has changed. You know, yep. just like that, everything is different. You know, Bran is now in, in a coma. Everybody's leaving. Uh, he's being forced to leave. So he's just putting an overwhelming, uh, a lot of things happening at one time all together. And it's hard for anyone to deal with one of those things. If your brother just is in a coma, that's hard to deal with. But with everything going on, it's just extremely hard for anyone to have to deal with, including Catherine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let it slide. So, yeah. So, when he first goes to see Bran, I, th- I like the wording of how what he says Bran looks like. Um, the flesh had all gone from him. His skin stretched tight over bones like sticks. Under the blanket, his legs bent in ways that made John sick. His eyes were sunken deep into black pits. Open, but they saw nothing. The fall had shrunken him somehow. He looked half a leaf. 
as if the first strong wind would carry him off to his grave. So the way he's described reminds me so much of the way Blood Raven is described. Yeah, it is exactly like Blood Raven, and it's easy to see that. Also, you know, with the warging ability that Bran would later pick up, it describes it like that. But you got to understand, too, that this is a different time. Someone to be in a coma back in those days, obviously you're going to lose a tremendous amount of weight. It's not like they have feeding tubes like we have in modern days. So he's going to be as gaunt as anyone's going to be if you're in a coma that long and you haven't eaten for that long. Yeah, and they describe him as half a leaf and we know like leaf is later introduced to us in a dance with dragons as the child of the forest and we know bran is going to be like a big huge main part of the children of the forest storyline so i think that was like some foreshadowing that george laid down real early no doubt about it no doubt about it that's what he was doing so John goes down to the yard and he goes to see Rob and he's basically saying good his goodbyes to Rob and they have this exchange. He's he sees Rob and it says Rob had snow in his hair melting from the heat of his body. And later in a dance with dragons when he has that dream where he's Azor High, he sees Rob the same as he sees Rob in this chapter with the snow in his hair. I don't... Do you, what do you think that means? It's hard to tell what, what that means. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to tell. I mean, you could generalize and say a couple of different things about it, but in all honesty, I don't know if you could really truly draw something concrete from that. Yeah, because that dream is, like, so ambiguous it has so many different meanings, but I I remember when I read this, I was like, oh God, that's the same wording as that dream. I'm gonna go back and look on, look at that and probably theorize on that um, dream. But he's not going to die, Rob said. I know it. You Starks are hard to kill, John agreed. His voice was flat and tired, and the visit had taken all the strength from him. Rob knew something was wrong. My mother, she was. Very kind, John told him. Rob looked relieved. Good, he smiled. The next time I see you, you'll be all in black. John forced himself to smile back. It was always my color. So, first of all, (laughs) John says you Starks are hard to kill. And they do this whole farewell, farewell Stark, farewell Snow thing later on and I, I I don't know like I feel like there's some hidden meaning behind that because are the Starks hard to kill because a lot of them die in the first three books <laughs> yeah no that's definitely exactly the opposite they are not and they I remember reading the book when I when I read the first book and I was reading I was like these Starks just drop like flies you know and they're pretty easy to kill you know so I think that is the double entendre for that uh situation right there so the last person that John goes to see is Arya. And Arya, he gives Arya the sword needle. And I found it absolutely unbelievable that they weren't going to let Arya out into the yard to say bye to John. Like who does that? 
What do you mean you can't? What do you mean she can't go out there and say bye to her brother because her clothes weren't folded right? Like who runs shit in Winterfell? Yeah, I mean, I Septa Morden. I think Arya would have went out there anyway. No, and Arya, I don't think. I think there was no way she would have missed John going away. I think she would have ran out there and did what she ever had to do. But you know, one of the most iconic scenes in all the Game yeah. of Thrones is John giving you know Arya needle. You know, and it, it's it's. Um, Ironic that it's a, a Bravosi style blade, right? And then she gets a oh, It's definitely, it's not ironic. That is by design, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. I, I definitely believe that's what it was. But at the time, you know, when you read it, like, why would they have a Bravosi style? Why would someone from the north know how to make a Bravosi style blade at that particular time and, and give it to her? You know, because who, who was he supposed to get? He got the, the, he got it made by Micken and... If that's the case, what did he go to Micken and say? Hey, I, I need a small blade. Did he tell her who it was for? I don't know if he was able to tell her. But for whatever reason, he got that Barossi-style blade made for her. I wonder if John had like some kind of dream or some kind of whisper that pointed him in the way of the Bravosi sword. Or I just wonder if it was because it's a good size sword for her. Yeah, I mean, you don't see, maybe she could have just did a bastard sword then, you know what I mean? Because that's smaller swords. But you never hear anyone ever, you know, having that style of blade anywhere in the north. So it's ironic, I will say, uh, that she happened to get that and then everything that goes on with her dealing with them and stuff. Yeah, so in much contrast to the relationship that john has with catelyn with his siblings he actually does have a good relationship he has a good relationship with rob he has a good relationship with bran and he has a good relationship with Arya. rickon is only three years old sansa is her mother's daughter but the relationship he has with Arya is probably the most special um at this time that this chapter was put out Arya and Jon were supposed to be in some kind of love triangle with Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it definitely changed. Uh, George went another direction, but that was like in his original outline was this this love triangle. Disgusting. And um, <laughs> it, it would have been. I'm so glad he changed it. But, <laughs> yes. but I do understand why they have this bond that they have because they're they're both really the outcasts of their family like Arya couldn't be any more different than her sister and John couldn't be any more different than the Tullys and they both look alike and they're a lot alike as far as their out view on life like life isn't fair uh, you know all of those things and they both had they're both the most starkiest of the Starks yeah no doubt there's no doubt about it and you know as you said these are people who you know are trying to overcome what the world has set them up to be right john knows that he's a bastard he's not supposed to inherit anything he's not supposed to have anything so he wants to overcome that Arya is supposed to be sold like cattle uh, and just become some and just produce babies for some man and she does not want to become that so they have that bond and i think that you know when you have a little sister like that you know you're always close to your little sister, I think, you know. I mm-hmm. think as a brother, you always get close to your little sister, you know. I, I'm very close with my younger sister. You know, you just feel like a certain, like, you have to protect her, you know. And I think that's how yeah. John felt about her. And that's how she felt, like, she feels about him, too. But um, a fun 
fact, in the show, Arya names Needle. But in the books, John named Needle. I almost forgot, he told her. All the best swords have names, like ice, she said. She looked at the blade in her hand. Does this have a name? Oh, tell me. Can't you guess? John teased. Your very favorite thing. Arya seemed puzzled at first. Then it came to her. She was that quick. They said it together. Needle. The memory of her laughter warmed the memory of her laughter warmed him on the long ride north. So that moment is a big moment for both characters because when Arya is at the House of Black and White and Bravos, she cannot get rid of Needle because Needle is Jon Snow's smile. Needle is Winterfell. Needle is all of these important things for Arya. And it's the same with Jon. Like, these memories of Arya keep him warm on the cold nights at the Night's Watch. Yeah, because right when she gets this, you know, this is the last normalcy that she has you know when she receives needle this is the last time all of her family is going to be together so all those memories of a family being together get attached to this one sword you know because right after this is when everyone splits up and leaves so this is the last moment she has that and you always have to have something you know clean that brings you uh, back home and that was Arya for John that's what made him stay focused and know that hey you know it's not so bad up here that I had a better life somewhere else and I have to get back there eventually. But it just keeps you uh, it keeps you focused on the game when you have something that, to care about. You know, it's, yes. it's hard just to have nothing. And then, you know, that's what a lot of people at the nice watch, that's why their lives are sucky because they have nothing to care about, you know, nothing to keep them strong. And usually a lot of times it's a woman that you care about, a woman that you love. That's why when you see people go off into war, they have the picture of their wife and they're always looking at it. Uh, Bob Hope used to always go to uh, to the soldiers before they go, went off to war. And he'd bring Marilyn Monroe or Raquel Welch and he'd say, I want to show you guys what you're fighting for, you know, and give them inspiration. Like, you know, they ain't getting Marilyn Monroe, but he's saying, you know, <laughs> listen, <laughs> you know what I mean? But hey, this is what you're fighting for right here. You know, you have to give people a cause, a reason. And Arya was John's reason to stay strong. She kept him strong. So that's basically John 2. It's mainly just setting up his goodbyes, his relationships, um, his life, and how his life has been in Winterfell. And I, I really like it. It's a short chapter. I don't know how we managed to get an hour out of, like, six pages, but we did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a very short chapter. One of the shortest chapters he has uh, in all the books and stuff like that. You know, but it's a good chapter. It's a good, it's a good, it's not just a a filler chapter. You get a lot of substance in that little bit. Yeah. So it's it's a chapter that needed to happen. Yeah, and Catelyn Stark, um, she will get more bearable as the story goes on. And I will continue to bring on guests that have differing opinions than me on characters because I feel like that brings a different dynamic into the conversation. 
But I want to thank you for coming on Obsidian Nights. Would you like to tell everybody where they can find you one more time? No doubt about it. Thank you for having me on. Though it was the shortest chapter, we're not going to talk about that, right? Because I'm coming back on a long Don't walk. even start. <laughs> Don't even start. It's all right. But I'm saying thank you again for having me on. It is a very lively discussion, as always, with you. Anyone who's looking for me, I am the Don Tony Teflon. My channel is Teflon TV on YouTube. Please subscribe to that, and please subscribe to my podcast on Podbean, The Lady and the Don, featuring me and LMR. Once again, Gray, thank you very much. You're welcome. And next week, I will be doing Daenerys two with my moderators from my discord so if you are not a member of my discord you can join my discord and they run a pretty good ship over there they do a whole lot of stuff they do giveaways and rereads and cue it like they do a whole bunch of stuff over there and really all you need is a cell phone i'll link it below so we're gonna have a good time with that next week and i will see you guys later as always thanks for listening and have a good day